Dear listener, just a quick note here. Due to safety measures during this time, we're continuing to record interviews, but asking the people we call to record themselves as best they can. They're not in a studio. So bear with us. Hola, Tocaya. ¿Cómo estás? Sí, buenas noches, María. Bien, bien, gracias. On a recent weekday night, I called up Maria Magaña, a domestic worker in Chicago. Maria, what did you do today? Well, just today, I don't have to work because the family canceled for today. Just walk my little dogs, cook, you know, keeping inside. Anyway, it's cold outside. (laughs) She was hanging out at home with her dogs and her pet lovebirds. Maria is originally from Mexico City. She's been in the United States for about 30 years. And I called her because I really wanted to see how she was doing. What's going on? ¿Cómo te sientes? How are you feeling? We spoke in both English and Spanish. Estoy bien, bien, todo bien. Pero con un poquito de preocupación con el tema del COVID-19. She told me she was doing pretty okay, but that she was a little bit worried about COVID-19. She's 48 years old, and she's got this inherently optimistic energy. Even when she was telling me that one of her cleaning gigs got canceled today, she said she was going to make the most of it and spent her unexpected day off with her pets. What kind of dogs are they? Shih Tzu. Oh! Two little Shih Tzus. Mm-hmm. They are very, very cute dogs. With this pandemic and <laughs> my little troublemakers, <laughs> I have a full hands. She works six days a week cleaning houses for several families. She told me she's been losing a lot of other cleaning gigs as well, all because of fear around catching the novel coronavirus. What's the situation with your work and do you have money saved? Well, I have a little, you know, a little amount of savings, but it's a little hard for me right now because a couple people have to cancel for this situation. And I understand they want to protect their families and protect to me. They are elder people. I understand that they be scary about what's going on because I'm maybe I catch it when I traveling, take the bus, train or whatever, you know. I I have to understand that. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, we check in with a free health clinic in Chicago. It's an important line of defense against the coronavirus, and we speak to one of their patients. We first met Maria Magaña at a free health clinic in Chicago called Community Health. And several months ago, Latino USA aired a story when we spent 72 hours meeting patients and doctors at the clinic. The clinic only serves people without health insurance, and most of their patients are low-income immigrants, some of whom are also undocumented. The communities that they serve include older people with chronic conditions and people who can't stay home from work, which of course are people who are particularly at risk for coronavirus. When we met Maria at the clinic, she told us that she didn't have health insurance simply because she couldn't afford it. It was so expensive. It say, okay, I paid the insurance, so I pay my rent. 
and she was going to the clinic to check in on her chronic issues, like her diabetes. Su diabetes fue muy bien controlada. <laughs> Estoy haciendo muy bien. Sí. When I caught up with her recently, Maria told me that she wasn't really worried about her health at this exact moment, but that her city felt really strange. I feel a little worried about what's going on in Chicago because all restaurants have to close. The public schools is closed too. It's a little scary because when you go to store and you don't find nothing, people is in panic. I don't know how long we have to keep it in, in the house, you know. It's worry. Really, it's really, really worry. Right now here is like a ghost town, you know. It's, nobody is outside. While the streets were deserted, ICE agents were still being seen making the rounds in Chicago. Maria has a green card, but her husband and other family members and friends are undocumented. Hay mucha preocupación más en el barrio mexicano. She told me people were worried, especially in the Mexican barrios, because she says there were recently some raids. La policía de migración ha estado en esos barrios y ha hecho ya algunas redadas. So people feel like it could happen again tomorrow or the day after? Yes, and the people is worried about that. The day after we spoke with Maria, ICE officials announced that agents will temporarily postpone most arrests because of the coronavirus pandemic. But Maria said in her community, people don't trust ICE to keep their word. And that means that people are scared not only from the virus, but they're scared about ICE. Exactly. Yes. In terms of her health, for now, she's trying to take precautions. She's eating healthy and washing her hands. And I asked her what she would do if this pandemic lasts for more than a couple of months. No he pensado hasta ese tiempo. La verdad, no. But she told me she wasn't thinking that far ahead. I don't want to thinking about that for a long time. But who knows? Maria has been going to the free community health clinic since the mid-1990s. So actually, she's not that worried about getting treatment if she needed it. If you start with the high fever, caffeine, and you can breathe, you have to go to the hospital because it's a very, very bad situation. All in all, Maria seems to be trying to take this moment of crisis in stride. Why are you so calm, Maria? Well, I can do nothing. Just wait. You know, stay peaceful. Don't be worried. I worry, but... You have to go out and have to work. You can do nothing. Just trying to be unsafe. That's it. And we have a hope like this situation don't take long time or weeks, months. I hope not. What are you doing to stay hopeful? Crecer mi fe, mantener la fe abierta, porque no se puede hacer otra cosa. She tells me she holds on to her faith because there's nothing else she can do. Then she adds, if an opportunity for work comes up, she'll take it. Which, of course, I tell her is a very Mexican thing to say. Tan mexicana. Es verdad, es verdad.
coming up on Latino USA. Places like the free health clinic in Chicago that Maria goes to are now on the front lines of where low-income uninsured immigrants can go to get care during this pandemic. We go back and check in with the clinic after this break. Stay with us. No te vayas. Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix's Contodo, presenting Brown Love, a new podcast that aims to bring together the best and brightest of Latino Hollywood to get real about the industry and all the things Latinx communities are talking about on your timeline. Each week, the show features a roundtable of Latino actors, including Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black and Jessica Marie Garcia from On My Block. New episodes of Brown Love drop every Tuesday. Subscribe now where you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic is changing everything really fast. So we have created a podcast where you can hear conversations and stories from NPR journalists who are covering the pandemic, the public health fight against it, and how the world is coping. I'm your host, Kelly McEvers. Listen and subscribe to Coronavirus Daily from NPR. We're back. In the first part of this episode, we heard from Maria Magaña, who might not have health insurance, but she isn't afraid to seek health care in this time of crisis. And that's partially because she goes to the largest free health clinic in the United States. We heard a story about community health last year, which only serves people without health insurance. As the number of coronavirus cases continues to rise and other clinics on the front lines are facing shortages of supplies or even closing, we wanted to check back in on community health. So we called up their CEO. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, you know, as good as we can be in these difficult times. It is a new time uh, that we're all experiencing. A note that we spoke to her on the phone in mid-March, a few days before the number of coronavirus cases in Illinois broke 100. Stephanie Wilding, welcome to Latino USA. Thank you. I'm wondering, Stephanie, was there a moment when you realized that this outbreak was going to be something really serious? Yeah. Uh, about this time last week, I was returning from my honeymoon. And before I left for my honeymoon, I wrote down three big picture items for community health that would expand access to care, build our reputation further, grow our roots even deeper within the communities we serve. And I returned from my honeymoon to the office a day earlier. And I sat down in the chair I'm sitting in right now next to my desk. And... I sat there and I looked at those three items on my whiteboard for probably longer than I should. And then I stood up, I walked over, and I erased them. Because the only thing that we have to focus on right now is staying open for our patients, for our community, 
and keeping our staff and our volunteers safe. The other things don't matter right now. So the situation now is that you're about to start canceling appointments or are you telling people to only come in if they're sick? Yeah, so we have a specific set of guidelines around that. If someone's sick, we're asking them not to present to our health center. And if it becomes critical that they should go to their local emergency department. And that's in line with the CDC guidelines. In terms of our day-to-day appointments, we're continuing to provide care to as many patients as we can. And we're doing that in a few ways. All non-essential services are either being canceled, such as surgeries or procedures. And then where we can, we're moving visits to telephone or video conferencing when possible, but mostly telephone so that we can limit the movement of people on public transportation and limit potential to exposure to COVID-19. So have any patients that you've seen, have they tested positive? And if anybody does show up with symptoms, you're basically saying you can't test them, you've got to send them to the ER? We are able to do the testing on site, but it is very limited. So none of our patients have tested positive for COVID-19. We have had patients test positive for flu. And in fact, if we suspect COVID-19, we shouldn't be sending that person to the emergency room unless absolutely necessary because we don't want to expose more people. Wow. There's such a shortage of tests and yet your free clinic has them. We have 10, to be clear. But I will say, yes, we're lucky that we have the ability to test 10 patients. A lot of places do not have that capacity right now. What is it that's going to make you say, okay, this person gets one of those 10 tests? That person with body aches, fever, shortness of breath, a dry cough. If that's all they're presenting with, we're not going to give them a test for COVID-19. Because testing is still so limited. We will give them a rapid flu test to determine if they have the flu. That's why it's so important for people to stay home during this time because not only us as a safety net provider, but even hospitals, they're not going to be providing that test given the criteria we're using at this time. One of the things we're hearing a lot about is the concern around shortages. Do you have the supplies that you need? The shortage on personal protective equipment is very real. Part of the reason we had to move to, for example, in dental, only doing urgent dental procedures is because we are concerned about running out of surgical masks. But these are not the same things that people are using on the streets, right? Oh, they absolutely are. So you're saying that if people went online and they bought surgical masks just to be walking around, that meant that you and your clinic are facing a shortage of those surgical masks in a kind of medical setting. Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with that? We went through and we took an exact count of all of our masks. And then we had to lock all of our masks up because we have had supplies being stolen during this time. And then we began to track and trend how many masks we use every single day under normal operations and make some difficult decisions about what services to scale back in order to preserve some of our masks so that we can continue to provide the basic essential health care. And that has given us a general sense of how many days of masks we have. But at this time, there are no more masks coming. Our order is indefinitely delayed. 
I have reached out to our hospital partners, most of whom have turned me down because they don't have them either. One hospital, I will say, donated 100 masks, but that lasts us about six days. They were disappearing. Who's taking them? We don't know. I had heard about this happening and had hoped we wouldn't be experiencing that. We had masks, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper stolen from our site in the last two weeks. And so we've gone and had to lock up all of our supplies at all times. So in some ways, Steph, you're seeing like the best in humans, but you're also seeing the worst of people. What's the morale been like? Yeah, morale, it it ebbs and flows. We learned that our schools were going to be closing, that restaurants and bars were going to be closing. And everyone's here at work and they're worried for their families and they're worried for our patients. And what has really evolved from that through our volunteers and also through our staff is, you know, we're all placing an emphasis on self-care in new ways and going out of our way to share a funny story of something that happened. Morale is tough right now. We're making every effort to maintain joy in our work, making sure that they are taking care of themselves and taking care of each other because this is going to be a potentially long lasting situation. So right now you're currently open uh, to service the community. And actually the majority of the people who work in your clinic, they're all volunteers, right? I mean, these are people who are like retired nurses and doctors. They donate their time. Even your interpreters are volunteers. So are they still coming in? Yes. The majority of the way that we provide care is through volunteers. Probably 60 to 70% of our volunteer base is intact which is a big hit. I would say the two primary reasons for losing volunteers right now is folks need to be at the hospital. And then the other is that we rely on retired providers who fit a high risk population for older adults. And for any of those volunteers who obviously are staying home, we're certainly supportive of that. So, you know, when people talk about vulnerable communities in the midst of a pandemic, mostly right now, I think people are thinking about people who have compromised lungs, autoimmune diseases, and people who are older. But when you think of vulnerable populations in a pandemic, what does that vulnerable population actually look like to you? I think about our patients. I think about patients with limited English proficiency. That's a high-risk group right now. They're unable to access services and resources and accurate information in a language that they need. I think about our undocumented communities who before this pandemic occurred were already living in fear and experiencing unprecedented amounts of reasons to stay home and not to seek out care because they've been putting off care due to fear. And now it's going to be even harder to try to bring them into our centers and to ensure that they're getting medications, the proper examinations they need. And in the event that they become sick, do they know what to do during unprecedented times? When you step back for a moment and you take a pause, what's the thing that's keeping you up at night? I know we're making the right decision to be open. We'll always be open, but I'm asking my staff to potentially put themselves at risk and our volunteers. 
And that keeps me up at night. But I know we're doing the right thing. And I know that access to care, especially during this time, is the right decision. And that we've made all the right decisions around safety and protocols and processes. Do you have any sense at all what your city or your clinic will look like in the coming weeks? Just how bad this could get? I'm hoping that our city remains on a partial or full lockdown so that we can flatten the curve, as everyone's heard how important that is, and that my clinic, Community Health, is open for essential healthcare services, is open for urgent dental appointments and urgent behavioral health appointments, and has a pharmacy that is fully running and providing medications to our patients. Do I think that what I just described is likely going to be what we're experiencing in two weeks? No. I remain hopeful that we will be in the same position two weeks from now that we're in today. But do I think it's likely? No. That was Stephanie Wilding, CEO of Community Health. Since recording this interview, the number of coronavirus cases in Illinois has reached into the thousands, and the state has issued a stay-at-home order asking that only essential businesses stay open. As of this taping, the clinic has suspended all dental services for safety, but they remain open for critical services. They told us they have now tested their first patient for the coronavirus and are awaiting the results. This episode was produced by Alisa Scarce and Joanne Luna and edited by Sofia Palizacá and Luis Treyes. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Antonia Cerejido, Janice Yamoka, and Alejandra Salazar. Fact-checking by Julia Inés Esparza. Our engineers are Stephanie Lebeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Special thanks to Raul Perez. Our production manager is Natalia Fidelholz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcántara. Our intern is Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zeña Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Stay inside, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Funding for Latino USA's coverage of A Culture of Health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Latino USA is made possible in part by The Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children by strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity, and transforming communities. And New York Women's Foundation. The New York Women's Foundation, funding women leaders that build solutions in their communities and celebrating 30 years of radical generosity. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, the transformation of Medellin, Colombia, from the desperate and tumultuous 1980s to the very hopeful present. Do you remember the first time you heard the name Pablo Escobar? I remember the name. And I remember also thinking that Pablo Escobar was going to come after us for some reason. That's next time on Latino USA.